Father, we, we thank you for the scriptures that you have given us that have stood the test of time. And we ask that as today we speak about you and your plans and your purposes as it applies to us, your people, Holy Spirit, would you work in us deeply in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have been, which has been one of the most wonderful things, is I've been listening to Narnia. Uh, I've read Narnia many times, but I've never had them read to me. So I feel like a little kid being read to. And so it's this amazing thought. I, I've thought back, and I, I have no recollection of ever being read to as a kid. I'm not saying I wasn't. I'm just saying I have no record of it. I went to boarding school when I was a little, it was really small, and things. So books were not a big thing in our house. So I have no recollection of that. So this is like, I feel like I've gone back in time. I, I feel like I'm in Narnia. I'm a little kid. And these stories have been read to me, and I'm loving it. It's quite wonderful. But the wonderful thing that's coming out of it as, I, as I'm listening is, obviously I'm older now and I look in a new way, is all these, these themes that C.S. Lewis was able to write into, into these children's books. But one of them is Aslan. And as we were worshipping there about Jesus, when you read the books, if you've read them, how many have read Narnia? Okay, so a good, good proportion. There's always this excitement when Aslan comes on the scene. There's always this excitement around this name, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. And as I was, as I was reading that, or as I was listening, I felt just that prompting how stale the name of Jesus can become to us. It's just the name we now just say in the name of Jesus and we amen. And it, 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 for maybe for some, it's lost that mystery. It's lost that power. It's lost that intrigue, that, that something beautiful around the name of Jesus. That in that name and only in that name can people come to salvation. And uh, it's been a great reminder to me that it's, I want to once again be captivated by the name of Jesus, and I hope that you will as well. So that's all that listening to Narnia has done to me. It's been wonderful. I'm on book six, The Silver Chair. It's glorious. All right, into our, into our series. We are we're in a series that we entitled Christ the Eternal Son. We're talking about Jesus which is why I felt like we could talk about Jesus out of Narnia. And under the broad banner of what does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus, um, living out the gospel of the kingdom of God in the context that we find ourselves in. And I honestly have to say, I think the series has gone where I wasn't expecting it. We, when Brian and I were speaking and we laid it out, we laid out some things, but it's kind of gone it's, it's kind of stated with a plot, but the way that it's unpacked has been a little different than I expected. Um, and I, I really put it down to that, that talk on incarnation that Brian gave. It kind of, it was a jolt to me that actually this is a really, really important thing. That the God of the universe made himself known in this man, Jesus, walked the earth um, just like us and suffered and was tempted and was stressed and had bad nights of sleep, just like us, that enabled us to identify with this God that we serve. Um, I found it quite impactful for my own life. And I think it led to the way that we have taken the series a little bit that's become a little more dealing with our deep innards rather than just, oh, this is a great theological thing. 
So out of that um, understanding of incarnation, we spoke about Jesus as priest. I've thought a lot about that talk, um, the importance of it, that, G- the, that Jesus qualifies to stand on our behalf because of incarnation. We led into the good shepherd. We read Psalm 23. That Jesus is the good shepherd. It's not just the Lord is my shepherd. No, Jesus is my shepherd. And I want us to recapture that as well. Um, and we spoke about Jesus, our healer. And that the, I think the, I don't know if you remember that if you were here. I, I, that was kind of a powerful meeting. The idea that Jesus heals, but then he asks us to participate with him, with him in our healing, in the way that we live. Um, the Peter Scazzaro's words, we can have Jesus in our hearts, but we have grandpa in our bones. And we bring that with us, and we have to participate with Jesus and allowing that to be dealt with in our lives. And then last two weeks ago, we dealt with Jesus' brother and the way that that plays out for us in, in community as brothers and sisters together, actually sharing in eternity, co-heirs with Christ because he's a brother. And um, I've thought a lot about Liam when we were talking. Remember, we broke up when we did Breaking the Bread. And he said, can I go to school and say that I have a 58-year-old brother? You know? And then he greeted me at the pot like, hi, brother. You know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So today we're going to speak about Jesus as friend. And we sang that song, Friend of Sinners. And actually, it's an interesting... As, as I think Brian found as we looked at Jesus' brother, there's, there's actually very little, like, here's a verse that talks about Jesus the brother. There's actually very little about Jesus' friend. There's, there's a lot implied, but there's very little. And so, but the bit that there, that's there, I think, is really quite important. So let's look at this idea of friend. There are three characters in the Bible that are implicitly, in some way, called God's friend. One is Moses. It speaks in Exodus 33 how God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. Now, nowhere does it say Moses was God's friend, but it's implied. It, 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 it speaks of David. When you just read the Psalms, the way that David writes, the way he expresses his feeling about God is the sense that God, David is God's friend. And then Job. There's this amazing thing in, in Job 29 verse 4. It says, um, the scripture, As I was in my prime when the friendship of God was upon my tent. Isn't that a great line? When the friendship of God was upon my tent. When the friendship of God surrounded my home. It doesn't say he was God's friend, but it's implied. You have these, these three characters. And then we have one character where it's definitely this is God's friend. And this is that fellow Abraham. He actually said he was the friend of God. In Isaiah 41 verse 8, the prophet writing, speaking on behalf of God, talks about Abraham, my friend. And James deals with him um, in the same way, talking about Abraham who believed God, who was credited into righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Kind of that's, the, that's it unless we get to the disciples. We have the strange story of Judas when he comes to kiss Jesus, and Jesus says to him, friend, do what you have to do. 
It's an interesting text. We're not going to unpack that today, but it is an interesting one. And then in Matthew 11, we, we get the, the line from what we sang today. He's known as friend of sinners. And actually, the context of that is actually, it's almost sarcastic. It's kind of the, the religious rulers passing almost like a judgment. Oh, look, he hangs. He's, a, he's known as a friend of sinners. He hangs with the drunkards and the prostitutes and the, those sort of people. He's a friend of sinners. And it kind of has to do um, with who Jesus is associated with. And if we take incarnation as this key thing, that the way that Jesus incarnated into the world is the way that we need to incarnate in the world. And he came humble as a servant, all those things. He came to be a friend of sinners. Therefore, the way that we incarnate into the world is that we are also called to be friends of sinners. Those that most people do not want to associate with are the ones that we, as the people of God, are supposed to associate with. I kind of hazard a guess if we began to do that, the church would fill up with people. But we all want to hang with the cool and the well-dressed and the artistic and the creative. But actually we call to hang with the nobodies and the smelly and the uneducated and the ones that have been pushed out. That's actually, if we were to line up with the ways of Jesus. Um, it's an interesting one. Then, then I had an interesting event happen to me many, 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 many years ago. I was reading through the Bible. And some of you are reading through the Bible, with the, the, the program that Brian has put together. How many of you are stuck with it? It's okay. Just keep, little by little. It's common practice. That's what happens. But many years ago, I was reading it, and I was reading Chronicles, and I got into Chronicles 27, and Chronicles is like numbers in those books where it's just lists and numbers, and it's kind of awful. And it, it got into David's sort of administrators and his mighty men, and this one was in charge of the goats, and this one was in charge of the sheep, and this one was in charge of this, and this one was the count. It just goes on. Like, oh, but I'm reading the Bible. And then it says something like David's, father-in-law was a counselor and then it says and Hushai the archite was the king's friend and then it moves on to the next guy all these guys were in charge of things but this guy Hushai he was known as the king's friend and I remember that day as one of those maybe five six seven times in my life where I mean scriptures really just hit me smack between the eyes if our God said that is what I want to require of you I want you to become a friend a friend to the king. And as we'll see later, that's not, I can't make that happen. That's, that's a God-ordained thing. But I remember seeing, oh, this guy, he was the friend of the king. Imagine everyone else is slaving, counting money, counting sheep, pushing goats, doing all sorts of things, and he's just hanging with David. I'm the friend of the king. But in some ways, it's what Jesus desires of his people, a deep, deep friendship that has an intimacy about it that's quite special and quite unique. I think, there are, I think there are things that hinder us from becoming friends with Jesus or him becoming friends with us in a, in a real way. And there are three texts I want to read, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, just little verses that I want you to keep in your mind. Just let them be like little arrows, little darts that go into your mind and kind of stick there. 
for, and one day when you're thinking about Jesus' friend and the intimacy, that these things will just, oh, they'll remind you. In Proverbs 22, verse 11, it says this, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Do that again. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. <coughs> Psalm 25, verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And the implication is that you can switch that round. Do you not know that friendship with God is enmity with the world? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of God must make himself an enemy of the world. That doesn't mean you hate people. It's got nothing to do with people. It's got to do with systems. It's got to do with worldviews. It's got to do with sin. To have a deep, intimate relationship, friendship with God requires that you cannot be in love with the ways of the world because they are opposed to each other. Now, we wrestle with that. That's a lifelong wrestle that we have to work out. In that song, Friend of Sinners, it says, uh, I've fallen in love with you and I am falling in love with you. There's something that has happened and there's something that is happening. I am saved and I'm in the process of being saved. So I, I, I want friendship with God, which means I need to slowly allow worldly ways to be eradicated from me. But it, that's a process and, and God knows that. So he doesn't wait until you're absolutely perfect, I think, before he says, friend. But I think he's looking for a purity of heart, as that scripture said. Someone whose speech is gracious. Someone who's just saying, I'm willing, God, whatever it takes, I want to be friends. I want to have an intimacy with you. That James passage then leads on. The next verses are, God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. This all flows out of that same text. And we get a beautiful example of it in, in the book of Job. If I can turn there quickly. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. There was a man in the land of Uz. I'll keep wanting to say now there was a man in the land of Narnia. Whose name was Job. And that man, look at this, was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. All the qualities for what it takes for God to say, my friend. And the rest of the book is an unpacking of him remaining true to that, despite everything else around him. The ways of the world came to bear upon him. The sickness of the world, the ravages of sin on the world, the taking away of, of his wealth and his family from the world, his friends who gave him bad count, all of that that we experience, and he not once stepped away. Even his wife said, man, just give up and die. And he said, no. God's friend. John 15, which Heidi was going to read. 
and I'll read for you. I'm going to read from verse 9. We were going to read from verse 1, but just for time, I'm going to read from verse 9. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 starts, I am the true vine, and about abiding. I'm going to read from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Please underline that. Get that in your mind. Write, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you just want joy in your life? I mean, he's telling us here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I'll just read the next verse, just to keep it in context. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Some important points out of that. Because this is the one major text where it talks about Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, I am going to call you friends. Kind of the only place. I'm going to call you friends. I'm no longer calling you servants. I am calling you friends. And so I wanted, as I read that text, I want to pick up what are some of the things that are in play that we need to think through if that is to be true of us. Things that Jesus said to those disciples that apply to us today if we want to be known as a friend of God. If five of them that I found, there could be many, you could strip them apart. I'm trying to keep them there. The one is abiding. A friend is someone who is with a friend. A friend is someone who abides in a relationship that says, Jesus, I want to abide with you. I need you in my life, not theologically. I need you in my life in reality. Every day, I cannot do this without you. I cannot be your disciple. I cannot live the way of God in a fallen world unless you are with me and I am with you. We need to abide together. Now we can pray a prayer today, Lord, would you come and abide with me? I just want to say that's not going to work. It might open the door. But abiding is a way of living. It means you have to take time to establish friendship. If I'm going to be friends with Thomas, I am more friends with Thomas than I am with Dan. Am I friends with Dan? Yeah, but I'm more friends with Thomas because we've abided longer in relationship. We've been through things together and we've remained in relationship. It doesn't mean that the other relationships are unimportant. It means, no, this one, there's been an abiding. I've had relationships with people that are no longer in the community. 
Those relationships stopped abiding, therefore they can no longer be called friendships. There can be associations, there can be whatever, but a deep friendship means we abide with one another. Now, I do understand I have friends that live in other countries and we don't see each other because of... But even then, even though we are friends, something shifts ever so slightly. Because friends need to abide. Friends need to be together. So if we want the friendship of God and He wants to be friends with us, there needs to be abiding. He stands at the door and knocks. He's waiting for us to say, yes, I want this. Rather than I got saved and now I'm doing my own thing and when things get really bad, I'll say, help, and then get on away again with my way. No, he wants an abiding. When Dallas Willard says, uh, you, you need to eliminate hurry from your life if you really want to walk with God. I mean, it's, what is he saying? He's just saying, friendship takes time. Friendship takes effort. Friendship means making time to be together. We need to abide. Can I leave it at that? That's a whole series on that text. Number two, we need to be people who obey. The ones who love me, obey me, Jesus says there. And I don't think this is a blind obedience. When I read this text, I don't find blind obedience. What I find is Jesus saying, I have called you servants, but now on the basis of that, I have revealed to you everything that the Father has shown me, I've included you into an inner circle. You are now friends. So we used to say, if, if you have someone who works for you, does your ironing. So in South Africa, we had someone who did that for us. And I would, I would be able to say to Maggie, Maggie, please could you iron the shirt? And Maggie, because I pay her, whatever, she irons the shirt. No questions asked. She doesn't have to know why I want the shirt ironed. She just irons the shirt. But if I go to Maggie and say, Maggie, there's a really important thing happening. I'm going to be meeting with um, Mr. Mandela. And I want to look my best. I want to, uh, do you think you could help me? Because he's got something. It's going to be wonderful. I've now included her in the purpose of why I want the shirt ironed. Would you make it look extra special? Would you put those three stripes on the back? Make it look sharp. As they would say in Zulu, you look sharp, very sharp. Now I've included her into that. So she said, oh, this purpose. I now iron with a new understanding, with a new purpose. I might still be getting paid. I might still be serving, but I serve in a different way because I've been being included. And what Jesus is saying there is, I've made known to you the ways of God, the purposes of God, why I called you, why I elected you, why I'm sending you out. I brought you in. I don't, I, you, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm now calling you friends because you're participating with me. It can't just be, oh, we're friends. We're going to have a beer together. Hang out. Woo! No. It's, there's an obedience to it. We are participating. Is that right? Thirdly, love. It's all about love. And the love that's represented here is not the gooey top. This is the love that says, I lay down my life for a friend. No greater love, no greater love as this than a man lay down his life for his friend. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's about Aslan laying down his life. Ooh. It's about Jesus. And he's pointing away, he's showing something. Real friendship is, I'm going to show you, 12, what real friendship is. I'm going to lay down my life for you, even though they didn't quite yet get it. 
And as we are called to be friends, it's that friendship that lays down the life, that speaks the truth, that says, I'll go that mile with you. I'll stick with you and no one else is. That's what friendship is. Fourthly, intimacy. Real friendship has intimacy involved. And Jesus, and you can read that all over the text, is desiring intimacy with his people. Because why? How do I know that? Because he's the bridegroom and we are the bride. That's meant to be an intimate relationship. Is it not? He wants intimacy with his people, but he never forces himself upon us. He just shows us over and over and over again his love. And as we respond to that, and say, we want to abide in that love, there's that friendship that, de- that, that develops. Jesus' is friend. And fifthly, fruitfulness. Something's got to come out of relationships. Something's got to come out of friendship. Something has to come out of intimacy. New life. New ways. New things come out of intimacy, out of deep, deep friendship. If, if using Thomas again, if Thomas and I, how long have we known each other now, Thomas? 15 years, 14 years. If in 15 years' time we're still doing exactly what we're doing now, there's no, there's no life that's come out of it. There's nothing new. Kind of buddy buddy, not the friendship of God. The friendship of God with us was, is that He abides with us. We abide with Him. Life comes from that. It's a life, He says, that will abide, that will last. There'll be fruitfulness, new fruit. So I think what, what we're doing here is when we're talking about friendship, we're talking about friendship with God, but we're also talking about friendship with one another in this broad spectrum, is understanding that real friendship is sometimes different to the way that we see it or think about it. You know, it's not Facebook. It's really not. It doesn't matter how many characters you have on your Facebook. It doesn't count. Just scrap that out. Who are the ones... That in your desperate moment, when you call them, they will be there. Even if it's really bad and you've been a bad person, they will be there. Those are the friends. They are the ones that walk in when everyone else walks out. That's what it means to be friends. So when Jesus wants to be friends, when he's talking to these 12 he says, I call you friends. I'm, I'm making known. We, we, together, we're going to do something great into this world that's going to go on and on and on. Maybe that's why when Judas eventually betrays him with a kiss, he says, what? Friend. Because he's just part of that. Friend. Jesus said these words. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. And I think sometimes we give up on the ways of God, we give up on friendships, we give up on all sorts of things because we get enamored with the ways of the world and the things of the world and the riches of the world and etc., etc., etc. And actually what we do is our soul, our, our innards die. 
And Jesus said, what's the, what's the use if you gain everything but you die? And I don't think this has anything to do with eternity. I think this has to do with everything right here and now. That we are, there are people living with everything that is so good, but they are dead. And real friendship calls that out. And if we really want Jesus to be our friend, he's going to call it out of us. He's going to say, no, no, no. So when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he wants to be with Jesus. That's, he's come to Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. Jesus, I'm, I'm so excited about this. This is so wonderful. If you can just do this one other thing, because he puts his finger in it, because that's what a friend does. You want to be a friend? Can you just go sell everything you have? Just give it to the poor. Come with me. You'll be my. We'll be great. What is it that Jesus is sticking his finger in your life about? Because he wants friendship with you, but this thing is hindering. What's that thing? Just some thoughts. God establishes the friendship. It's never us establishing a friendship with God. It's always God declaring us to be his friends, not us declaring him our friend. Not once. There comes a place where you know the friendship of God because he's opened that door. Now, we've been talking about, you know, being brothers and all these things. We can be sons and daughters of God. We can be the servants of God. We can be brothers with God, but we can lack friendship. Because some of you have brothers and sisters that you are not friends with. Isn't that true? That doesn't qualify you for friendship just because you are related. You can be a servant and not be a friend. You can be a son or a daughter and not be a friend. I've had a very strange relationship with my mom. I am her son. She is my mother. We were not friends. Friendship is something altogether different. What level of intimacy are you, are you asking of yourself? What do, what, do you rec- what do you want from Jesus? What level? Do you want just the surface? Do you want him to be your slot machine? Do you want him to be your brother, your high priest? You know, do you want him to be co-heir with you? Do you want those things? Or do you want the depth of friendship relationship that will change your life? I'm going to put the quote up for me, Dan. This is Dallas Willard's quote, which is a wonderful one. It says, what matters is not the accomplishments you achieve, What matters is the person you become. You can achieve a lot. You can achieve a lot for God and actually be very far from him. You can be a missionary in the mission field. You can dig wells for water and feed the poor and clothe the naked and visit those in prison. You can do all those things which are really, really important. And Jesus calls them really important. He said, if you don't do those, he said, I'm not going to know you either. They're really, really important. But what really also happens is who you become as a person. Do you become Christ-like? Do you become more godly? Do you become more in a relationship where God is abiding with you? What matters is not the accomplishments you achieve. What matters is the person you become. When you become a kind-hearted person, what will the result be outward? 
Kindness, yes. If you become a generous-hearted person, what will be the outward flow? Generosity. It's not a trick question. You can pass this one. You can get your license. You know? If you're a servant-hearted person, what will come out? Service. It's possible to feed the poor and not be servant-hearted. It is. I've seen it. It is possible to give and not be generous. But when that's inside of you, that's what comes out. Under pressure, what's inside comes outside. God has a way of putting the pressure on. Um, I think there are two things I'm going to talk about. I'm sure there are a gazillion that I think will hinder us becoming the person that God wants us to be. And in that context, I'm talking about being friends with God. It's more than that. It's it's a much bigger picture. But in this light, we're talking about God. I think there are at least two things that I think we face every day, all of us, that hinder that. doesn't mean it's impossible. I'm just saying it really hinders it. And the first is, is sin. Not doing the things that God wants us to do. We don't like that word in our world anymore. Such a horrible word. Such a sinful word is the word sin. But sin breaks relationship. And secondly is busyness. Both will cause your soul to shrivel. Sin and busyness will cause your soul to shrivel. No one's going to police us. No one's policing us. You've got to figure this one out. How do you do it? Sin and busyness will cause our souls to shrivel. In Job chapter 2, I'll finish, we'll finish with this. And Job is going through this nightmare. Everything's gone wrong. Everything's taken away. Everything's been... Robbed families, possessions, everything. He's covered in sores. He's awful. And his three friends arrive. And they see him and they weep. And the first thing they do is they just sit down with him and be with him. They just sit there for seven days and they be with him. It all goes down the tubes when they start trying to give him advice. If they would just be with him, just sat with him and just be there. And sometimes as friends, humanly... A friend is someone who's just there with you that sometimes doesn't have any advice at all, but is there and will stick with you. All right? A therapist is not necessarily a friend. They're a therapist and they serve a great purpose. They're not necessarily a friend. But a friend is the one who'll just sit with you and be there. You know, when you, someone's in hospital and you watch the movies and they're very weepy and someone's been in a coma, you know, for three months and they wake up and that person has just been there every day, just sat there. That's a friend. Reversing that, if Jesus is the one that is calling to friendship with us, do we allow time for Jesus just to sit with us? Or are you too busy? Or are you too sinful? Or are you just not interested? Asking that of myself. Or is there a place just for Jesus to sit with you and be, be with you? Just... Just his presence. Oh, this is so good. We're not even talking. It's just there. 
Now, we know theologically God is with us. We know that. But really, is God there? Jesus' friend. I hazard a guess most of us long for that. And we might have had glimpses in our lives, moments. But it needs to be cultivated, people. If you come to my house during the week now, you might find me sitting in my, on my sofa reading or thinking or doing something and not looking very busy at all. Deliberately. It could go to laziness, but Linda never allows that. She's really, really wonderful. She's a partner, as a friend, that helps me. No, you know, it's gone a little too far now. But I'm not trying to fill my day up. I really am not. Because I, if you want to spend time with me, I want you to know that when we spend that, you, you know I'm hearing God and I come with wisdom and kindness. But if you, if you are six in my long list of appointments, I might be exhausted and you the one that needs the most help and I can't as I'm too tired. And it really came to me a number of weeks, two months ago, when someone I've known for a long time and hadn't been around phoned me and said, can I come and see you? Oh, okay. Why do you want to see me? You were the last pastor I had 15, 16, 17 years ago, whatever. Opening question was this. If I commit suicide, will I go to hell? You better know I better be hearing God because that's not a light-hearted question. I realize there are going to be a lot of people like that in our world that need help. And if, I can, if, I'm, if God wants to use me or you, I have to find ways in the midst of that. Please don't all go resign your jobs now. I'm not saying that. Just saying... Go to the toilet twice instead of once during the day and just contemplate God for a few minutes. Go to the washroom or the bathroom or whatever it is. Do something. Father, thank you for opening a way through the work of your son Jesus that allows us to experience friendship with you. Help us to so desire that that we would make adjustments in our lives for that case, for that, that we could experience that. You know where each one of us is at. You know what you require of each one of us and could be different. Help us to hear that, we pray.